This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. On winning in the Industry Business Partnership of the Year. Our community is strengthened by these excellent businesses and services, and it's a real privilege to be able to recognize them here in the house. All right, welcome back to the show. This is Mike Smith filling in for Simi Sarah today. That is the voice of an NDP MLA, Mitzi Dean, speaking live right now in the B.C. legislature. It is the final day of the legislative session, so time to assemble our political panel to talk about who won the session, who lost the session, what were the other highlights, and very pleased to welcome back to the program Shannon Waters. She is a reporter with BC Today in the Press Gallery, BritishColumbiaToday.ca. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Mike. Thanks. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming on. Also, McLean Kay is here, editor-in-chief, the Orca, theorca.ca. Hi, McLean. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Okay, guys. Uh, let me start with the uh, the winner and loser of, of the session. And, McLean, I don't know. I'm throwing you a curveball because we didn't talk about this one off here. <laughs> but do you, think, uh, do you think anybody won the session, lost the session? I think the NDP is pretty smooth sailing for this government right now, isn't it? I think what will be remembered from the session is is UNDRIP, uh, which we'll get to. So I, I think in that respect, uh, the NDP will be very happy to claim a win. Uh, the BC Liberals will point to something else we're going to get to, which is the, the quarterly update and the, the shrinking surplus. So I, I think supporters of both sides could point to a win in this session, and they'll both have a point. Okay, Shannon, what do you think? Uh, I'll agree with McLean for the most part. I think that it has been sort of smooth sailing for the government. I think one of the things that they are probably very happy about this week was avoiding the general transit oh, yeah. shutdown yeah. in yeah. Metro Vancouver. Yeah. That would not have reflected well on the provincial government. Uh, they sort of took a hands-off approach and said, let the parties figure it out at the bargaining table. The liberals were saying, no, you need to step in. You can't do this to people who rely on transit in the lower mainland. And in the end, it was all resolved or, you know, we we avoided the strike. And so I think the government could call that a win as well. Yeah, I think to the government's great relief here, uh, because I think you're right. We had a a number of sort of labor fires burning here because you had the Saanich school strike Mm -hmm. was going for a while there, too. The schools were shut down for three weeks. And I think the government was on the verge of intervening in that one. Then you had the threatened Metro Vancouver bus strike. And if that had gone forward, there would have been a ton of pressure on Horgan to intervene here, I think, where he really didn't want to. Do you think that that obviously is is a relief for the government? Do you think the Liberals, McLean, in some ways, where I think the Liberals are saying, like, oh, it's good that this strike has been avoided. And then the back rooms are going, darn it. We wanted the chaos. We wanted the gridlock so we could try to blame it on the NDP. Do you think that's what they're really saying in the back rooms? Um, I'm sure some they of them are. Come on. You know they are. <laughs> well, not the ones in Vancouver. Uh, I don't think anyone actually roots for the Carmageddon that would have. Uh... I'm, I'm talking about politi- I'm talking <laughs> political reality, right? Like, I think what the liberals, they would never admit this on the record. No. But what I'm saying is secretly, they were kind of hoping that this strike would happen. And that they could somehow blame it on Horrigan. And now that it's been resolved, I mean, you could see that this week in the hallway with the labor minister, uh, Harry Bain, saying, like, I hope other parties take a lesson from this, that uh, collective bargaining works and you don't need to intervene all the time. But your thoughts? 
I mean, yes, I'm sure politically the any party in opposition is always going to try and find opportunities to embarrass the government. And a transit full transit strike would have been very embarrassing for the government. Yeah. It's not any different than, you know, I'm sure the BCNDP quietly had similar feelings during the last school strike. Of course, they don't want schools to be closed. But if it's happening on the, uh, the other side's watch, then, of course, they're going to try and take advantage What's of it. What's going on with teachers, though? Well, that, right now, nothing. That's the problem. And we saw that their tensions are still very real. Um, they had sort of almost like a parallel convention here last weekend in Victoria. Uh, I'm told uh, that the, the Empress Hotel, where they had the both BCNDP convention and the BCTF uh, event, they actually locked the doors in between them, which doesn't happen if you're familiar with the... Okay. Shannon, what's your read on the situation with the, the teachers' union because they're without a contract? There are no threats of a of a teacher's strike right now, but I think into the new year, if this drags on, we could be back to the barricades there. So I was covering the NDP convention this weekend and, and did go out and, and talk to some of the teachers who were out there dressed in red, holding up signs. People were driving down the street and honking to show their support. There was a very large crowd out there. And um, BCTF President Terry Mooring said, yes, we would like to resolve this at the bargaining table. And, and basically said, no, we don't want to strike, but also said, that's not up to me. That ends up being up to the membership. And at a certain point in time, if they're not making any progress and they don't think that on the government side, they're going to give them what they need to, from their perspective, reach an agreement, um, there's a possibility do think, there. Do you think that some kind of confrontation is inevitable here, given that Carol James, the finance minister this week, reiterated again, look, there's no big pot of gold here that, you know, we're not dumping more money on the bargaining table here. It does seem like the sides are becoming entrenched. I mean, they've been negotiating since February. We're coming up on a year in a couple of months here. Okay. Speaking to Carol James McLean, she uh, gave a quarterly update on the budget. The budget's still balanced, but just barely, right? Yeah, it's it's down for it's down to 149 million, which uh, sounds like a surplus. lot. Uh, surplus, yes, um, and it sounds like a lot. It was 179 million in the uh, the last update. Uh, it was 2.5 billion uh, in 2017 when they came in. So the trend is is pretty clearly down. Uh, yeah. The NDP know that they need a balanced budget, just politically. Why? Uh, well, uh, I don't think they'll. They're not going to get the same benefit of the doubt as another party. If, if they go into the next election having inherited a $2.5 billion surplus and in just four years, and they're right that there'll be some external challenges that have uh, helped contribute to that. But $2.5 billion vanishing over four years after raising revenue in a lot of new and increased taxes, it's just not going to look good on them. Shannon, you agree? Yeah, I th and I think that's something that the finance minister sort of didn't really want to answer during the update this week. She was asked, you know, what's the problem with going into a debt, like uh, having a $200 million surplus and a $200 million deficit, like in the big picture, there's not really that much difference. It's like a rounding, rounding error at the end of the day. But and she said, you know, I can't promise you there never will be a deficit, but basically uh -huh. I'm going to work incredibly hard to make sure that we don't get there. But there are a number of issues that could end up pushing the razor-thin surplus, as people like to say, into a deficit what's situation. One the, what's one of the big ones? Well, ICBC is yeah. what we always hear about. Yeah. What's going on with that dumpster fire? Is it still burning? Uh, yeah, uh, smoldering maybe, <laughs> but it, they definitely haven't put it out quite yet. What's the problem there, McCain? 
claim? Well, the uh, NDP lost a, uh, a BC Supreme Court case, um, yeah. which uh, had to do with re- restricting uh, court experts. Um, and it meant uh, when they introduced it, they told us that it would be a $400 million savings. They were very clear on that number. And now that they have lost the case and have decided not to appeal, um, they're being a little cagier about what that actually means in terms of the hit. Um, David Eby, the Attorney General, was pretty clear that it means $400 million eventually. But they are working on legislative changes that they hope might uh, ameliorate some of that. I thought it was interesting in the quarterly update that Carol James increased the contingency funds to 500 from 400 so that they could conceivably absorb that $400 million hit all at once. Uh, no, but they chose not to do that in this update. Okay, the, the ICBC situation uh, is not going away, and Shannon, your thoughts on that? Because they're going to try a do-over now on this these court case rules. So what the government did was they brought in these rules restricting the use of expert testimony in ICBC court cases. They said it was lower lower costs. The trial lawyers fought them in court and won, so those rules were scrapped. Now the government's going to try it again, right? Because last time they did it by like a cabinet order or by regulation. Now they're going to try and b- bring a bill into the House. They're going to try and do this again, basically, in the new year. Yes. Right? And, and, and then through, what happens? They get sued again? <laughs> probably. The yeah. Attorney General did say when we asked him, you know, you've already tried this through regulation. Now you're going to try legislation. Do you expect a challenge on that front? And he said he believes the chances are pretty much 100% that even if they pass a bill in the spring, that is still going to be challenged eventually. So more court costs, potential delays in the implementation of the legislation on that side. And the other thing is the reason that they went with the regulatory change first is they expected that to be able to save them that $400 million. They do not believe that on the legislative front, by making legislative changes, they will be able to save anywhere near that much money. So like McLean said, there is a $400 million hit coming at some point. And right yeah. now, what the government is trying to figure out is how to reduce that by as much as they possibly can, knowing full well that they're not going to be able to make it up now. Okay. And just during the commercial break, Shannon, we were talking about legal marijuana. And this is a story you've been working on. So tell me this again. The government is actually going to lose money It's starting- trying to sell weed in BC? Are you kidding me? It's starting to look that way. Wow. We haven't got confirmation yet. Some other provinces have already posted losses in the first uh, year of legal cannabis. Ontario, it was, I believe, $42 million that they lost in their first year. And New Brunswick, their government is getting out of selling legal weed because they lost so much money in the first year, they're just going to hand it right over to the private sector. Now, one of the things that I noticed when we got the quarterly update federal um, revenues were de- like transfers from the federal government were down because BC share of the cannabis excise tax was down and so at the beginning of the year they were hoping for 38 million dollars from this excise tax uh, which is related to how much cannabis the province is buying and now in the second quarterly update that's down to eight. They've they've revised it down by almost 80%. Okay, McLean, why is this happening? I mean, this is British Columbia, the land of BC bud, kind of ground zero for the pro-legalization marijuana movement. This was supposed to be, you know, a golden goose for government. How the heck does the government lose money selling weed? I think it's there's a lot of reasons, and I certainly don't have the expertise on this. That Shannon's done some amazing work on this file, but I mean, if you were if you were a, a regular consumer of cannabis, and you were buying, you had a, a source you trusted, and you got product you liked, 
Would you then suddenly decide to go and buy mail order product from the government that is probably much older and is not something you're comfortable with? I mean, would you buy mail order cilantro from the government if it was coming from Ontario? I don't think you would. And really, what's the difference? Okay, like I wonder if the government's weed is is bad. Like, are they selling uh, ditch weed or are they selling quality stuff? I mean, what are you hearing from the people you're talking to? Shane? Well, it's not BC Bud for it's one not? thing. Most of what is being sold through the legal retailers is coming from out of province. It's being grown by large scale producers in places like Alberta. I believe it's Manitoba is another um, big producer and Ontario. So they're not getting BC Bud when they go to the BC cannabis store and arguably it's been some of the best cannabis in the world. The other thing that we've been seeing is because there haven't been a lot of retail options, but um, the government buys all of the cannabis that legally comes into the province and then retailers purchase it from the government. But because there haven't been many retailers, the product has been sitting in warehouses sometimes for extended periods of time. When I was researching this in the summers, this is the summer of 2019, people were reporting that they'd bought legal weed from a, a retailer, whether that's the government store or their local um, licensed retailer, and the packaging date stamped on it was from 2018. Wow. Okay, that's not that is not good. Uh, now, McLean, I remember talking to Mike Farnworth, the Solicitor General, is kind of the cabinet point man on this, and he's he was very gung ho about a year ago for BC Bud, saying like we can make this kind of like the craft beer of marijuana. We've seen this wonderful explosion of craft beer production in, in British Columbia with all these new breweries opening up. He said, we can do the same thing with marijuana. So you could have small craft boutique type, high quality, locally grown marijuana products. And I mean, it sounded, it sounded great. And what happened? How come that hasn't happened? I mean, that's probably, you could do an entire show on what's gone wrong. And then the craft beer comparison, I think, is a really good one because yeah. you, you can imagine, I think craft beer is similar in a lot of respects in that people buy it and expect to consume it fairly shortly thereafter. Yeah. But imagine if instead of going to your local pub or liquor store, you had to uh, submit an order online and what you got was, you know, Labatt Blue that was bottled or canned four years ago. It's yeah. it's supply chain issue. Okay, can you blame the government for this, Shannon? I mean, this is like, I remember Farnworth saying, like, don't expect miracles overnight. This is a big transition. It's going to take some time to get a functioning industry up and running. But I don't know. I mean, the fact that they're losing money a year later... I mean, you know, on the should, produ- the government, should the government take some blame on this? On the production side, maybe not so much. That's in the federal government's um, jurisdiction. They are the ones who are deciding who is getting licensed um, to produce legal cannabis. Yeah. And that has mostly gone to larger scale producers that the federal government was already familiar with through the medical marijuana process. The province has been working to get... Uh, people who have been producing cannabis in BC on the gray or black market into the legitimate right. stream, right. but it's taking time and they're having to deal with the feds. When it comes to the licensing and retail options, yes, I think the province is to blame. I think they had a really good and interesting opportunity. Um, some cities were already licensing cannabis retailers on a municipal scale. And instead of allowing those retailers to continue to sell and operate while they went through the provincial licensing process, the government said, no, Everybody goes back to square one and they really focused on the licensing side. The licensing process has been the holdup and that has been about trying to keep uh, organized crime out of the legal retail side of things. But I would argue that 
for a lot of British Columbians who are excited about being able to buy legal cannabis uh, conveniently and legally, um, after a year of not having many options, of not having good quality and of high prices, a lot of them are probably a bit nostalgic for, you know, their neighborhood or well, familiar dealer. Well, maybe that's why they're still using the local dealer. Exactly. Right? I yeah. think it may have further entrenched the black market in BC in many ways. Okay. And meanwhile, I mean, you got the BC government trying to shut down these illegal marijuana growers. They've had some raids of illegal pot shops. I suspect that's going to continue in the new year as well. Do you see that ramping up? I just got a minute left here. We've basically been told that, yes, um, that's something that the Solicitor General has been very clear on, that as more retail shops open, they are going to have less patience for the retail outlets that have continued to buck the legal side of the equation. Okay, you've done great. As McLean said, you've done great work on that particular story. So I encourage people, if you're interested in the legal marijuana business in British Columbia, you should definitely check out Shannon's work there, British Columbia BritishColumbiaToday.ca. Uh, Guys, thank you very much for coming in. Always Appreciate a pleasure, it. Mike. Thank you very much. Thanks, McLean. McLean K, Editor-in-Chief, The Orca. You can read his stuff at theorca.ca. Shannon Waters, reporter, BC Today.